0: Welcome to Liberty's Talk, the podcast of Liberty's Journal. I'm Celeste Marcus, managing editor of Liberties, and the host of this podcast on which I talk with our writers and the larger Liberty Circle about whatever is on our minds. The guest for this episode of the podcast is Jauhar Ilham, a Uyghur activist and the daughter of Ilham Toti, an internationally acclaimed Uyghur economist who is now serving a life sentence in a Chinese prison. The Chinese government accused him of promoting separatism, but as she will explain, Zhao Har believes that he was imprisoned simply because he raised awareness about the terrible conditions of the Uyghurs within China. China is and has been perpetrating a genocide against the Uyghurs, as has been acknowledged by both the Biden and Trump administrations. In this conversation, Zhao describes in detail what that genocide entails, how long it has been going on, how the situation has developed over the past 20 years, and what the international community can and should do about it. So Jauhar, before I ask you specific questions about your family and your experience, I want you to just give a brief summary for people who don't know anything about who the Uyghurs are or what the Uyghur genocide is, because a lot of people still don't know. Can you give the five minute version of who they are, What the Uyghur genocide is and how the situation in China has changed over the last ten years. If you think that's a good time frame, and if you want to change that time frame, you can. But let's say ten years for now.
1: Um, So Uyghurs, um, it's actually a very diverse group, but we are also um, um, well. To to in in like if if I want to summarize it uh, shortly in a very short term a short short way will be we are a Turkic. Ethnic um, and also Muslim majority groups. Um, Most of us uh, are located based in west part of China. Um, The Chinese government call uh, uh, our homeland um, Xinjiang Uyghur Autonomous Region, and but many Uyghurs don't really like to be called, don't like our uh, hometown to be called this way because Xinjiang means new territory and it reminds uh, the Uyghurs, especially the Uyghurs in the diaspora of um, the pain of, Being uh, occupied um, and um, I call my hometown the Uyghur region that's my preference Um, I was born and raised in Beijing because my parents moved uh, moved from the Uyghur region to Beijing at at when they were a teenager so I happened to um, 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 grow up in Beijing but I did had chances to go back and visit my hometown uh, multiple times uh, um, uh, for throughout from 2004 uh, to from 1994 to 2011. 2011 was the last time that I was able to go back to my hometown to visit my hometown. And in fact the very last time that I was able to go back to my hometown was uh, with my father and three I can't remember it was three or four Chinese policemen. So they accompanied us uh, throughout the entire trip for 20 days. Uh, we were uh, doing road trip together stuck in the same car, same hotel, um, 24 seven. And I remember back in the late 90s when I was very little, the situation was completely different. Um, I have very vague memories of where my father was able to give lectures. Um, even though he was at a very young age, he was already a teacher at uh, at uh, in uh, at Minzu University in Beijing, and he um during weekends he would gather students um uh, to teach Uyghurs about uh Uyghur history, the the historic content and political content and economic situation of the Uyghur region. He was able to do that freely in late nineties. Um, but. Starting from to, uh, mid uh, starting from 2005 2006, especially since he built the website Uberbiz dot com, um, the situation has changed and it gotten worse and worse and worse by, by each year. Um, things had gotten extremely bad starting from 2013. That's also when that was the last time I was able to see my father Um, it was at the Beijing International Airport February 2nd 2013 uh, that was the last time I, I saw him that's when I sh- said goodbye to my father um we uh, since 2006 until 2013. That uh, during that few years, um, when because of his website, because his work for his website, and because of uh, him publicly reaching out to journalists and um, speaking, uh, speaking with um, um, uh, Western officials from different countries to introduce who the Uyghurs are and what is happening in the Uyghur region and how. And he was also asking, reaching out for help to ask uh, them to advise the Chinese government to um, to stop um, persecuting the Uyghurs. So you've mentioned that
0: your father was trying to raise awareness about the situation for the Uyghurs. Yes. But I want you to say, because people still don't know, what was the situation? And are there concentration camps? What are the concentration camps like? How long have they been there? What does it look like in there? Since the since the
2: history of the repression.
0: Yes, And since the 90s, have there been people go being put into the concentration camps? And what do we know about what goes on in there? And then if you want to, I will, I will ask you more questions about your father and his work. You will absolutely have opportunity to talk about that. But just for background, because he was trying
1: to raise awareness about those issues,
0: can you just talk about those things? Um, the
1: reason that I brought up a little bit about the website is because it's it's strongly tied to the Uyghur region's situation back in late '90s and back in 2000 and back in, and also with what is happening now. So my father realized that there um, before before um um before all of these whole concentration camp re-education camp scheme has been exposed to the world. So. Prison camps and uh, different types of camps are no, no news to the Uyghurs, but back then, it's a different type. It's not, it's, now we call it concentration camps and re-education camps. What is happening in the region, we call them, all people are sent to re- re-education camps and concentration camps. Those, there were camps Similar camps existed back in back in uh, late 90s, 80s, um, early 2000. There were camps like this. Uyghurs were persecuted and sent to those. And there were Uyghurs would be considered as political prisoners. I'm I'm using my fingers as like quote unquote political prisoners, and they would be sent to uh, different kind of detention centers for. Obscure reasons, and, and my father realized those inequalities. And not only um, those people who would get sent to sent to those uh, prison camps. In a normal daily life, uh, Uyghurs were were discriminated in uh, in job uh, job platforms, in in uh, in schools, and uh, even in education system, there was inequalities. Uyghurs um, uh, in in the state backed media in Chinese state backed media, um, the Uyghurs are often portrayed as backwards, uh, extremist, and then um, not very smart, not very developed. And then the Chinese government's image uh, in in most of the Chinese citizens' um, minds are always been trying to help and rescue our um, nomadic, backwards people. And my father wanted to change that. That's why he he created that uh, website, uh, that platform to give people a free um, platform to exchange ideas and to get to know each other, because... Without a platform that you can change your thoughts and ideas freely, you will never know um, what the other side is, who they truly are. And you will always consider the other side as the evil other side. My father wanted to prevent that and he wanted to create ethnic understanding. And also he wanted to help the Chinese government to eliminate those discriminations and also to help eliminate those stereotypes uh, towards the Uyghur people. And... um, Things back then we already thought it was bad enough where we could not have jobs even though they they were graduated from prestigious universities. Um, people die on their way to go to hospitals because there's no infrastructure, adequate infrastructures are built in the region. People often have to ride donkeys from one village to go to a main city in order to go and get treated in hospitals. And um, uh, kids end up being homeless because their parents could not get a job in local cities they had to try. Uh, travel too far away and their uh, their children end up uh, being homeless or being un- uh, not taken care of uh, at home. And then they get transferred by kidnappers to, to mainland China and they ended up becoming thieves or different, uh, ended up in different situations. And my father even created this uh, uh, foundation projects where he was trying to rescue homeless children. Um, and that also that campaign was how why he wanted to start that website is because he realized it's a deeper issue it's not only about homeless children it's not only about uh, that back the so-called backwardness of the Uyghur society they're deeper issue and there's more the chinese government should do that's why he has been engaging a lot of people like my father who tried to raise awareness on the Uyghur situation tries to communicate communicate with the chinese government but so many uh, people like my father, intellectuals, started um, the Chinese government started to try to shut them up, uh, shut them up, put them in prison, lock them up. Um, a lot of them have been disappeared. At least we knew my father was sentenced. Many people, we don't know where they are where, uh, and many of their family members don't know whereabouts of those um, disappeared individuals. So
0: we know it was it was bad enough in the 90s that your father, saw that the conditions needed to be repaired or uh, ameliorated, not repaired. Um, what is happening now that is so much worse? I mean, you mentioned already that people have been disappeared. Um, I assume that the people who have been disappeared, if they're in the same category as your father, who is a political, quote unquote, political prisoner, um, that's in a separate category from the people who have just been interned in camps. Is that is that correct? And what is the difference? And let's talk about the camps now. And you said that they're different from the kind of camps that existed before. How are they different? Who gets put in there? What is it like being a Uyghur in
1: Xinjiang? Okay, and you know, talk, talk about these conditions. Let's do a step-by-step first. Um, so what is, as I mentioned, what is happening now is completely different from what happened back where the level and degrees are completely different uh compared to uh, late 90s and early 2000 um so now we what is happening in the Uyghur region is a state-sponsored um and it's also one of the largest or the largest ethno uh detention widespread detention of and uh, ethno-religious groups and there are over um 1.8 million Uyghurs um More than that, actually, uh, have been sent to education camps or are in the concentration camps. So the reason that I specifically pointed out have been or are, I specifically pointed out those is because there's no way for us to determine how many people are there at the moment. But what we do know is that every single day there there are people are being locked up are disappeared uh, and randomly. uh, And, um, and we do know every single day there are, uh, there are new campaigners or new activists come out and saying that, where is my father? Where's my mother? Where's my sister with my brother? And um, so I wasn't, well, I was, I I was very little when, uh, when, um, when, when the uh, early nineties, I was born in 1994. And um, so I can't say too much about, what the situation was back then, but I do know, um, people who were, who were, who I I do know someone who was born into a camp, uh, when he was a baby and he, um, and he, it was, um, 40 or 50 years ago. And, um, but nowadays, um, at, at that point, um, if you uh, cons- if you have done something slightly uh, considered as threatening to the Chinese government, for, ins- for instance, like my father um, uh, make critical comments on Chinese government's behavior in certain region in their policies, that could considered as um, um, you know, dangerous to the government. Okay, let's say we understand that. But what is happening now in the Uyghur region? You don't have to comment on politics. You don't even have to be related to politics in any any kinds of way. You just have to be an Uyghur. That's all you have to do to give a hand and a perfect reason for the Chinese government to put you in a prison, in a camp, in a training schools. It doesn't matter if you're a well known soccer player. It doesn't matter if you're a well known singer, comedian. A a president of a university. Be uh, be, the more elite you are, uh, of from a a certain group, the more prominent you are, the more dangerous you could be even. And um, there, there. So now we have. um, I know, like um, people, uh, people who work in this uh, field, in in the human rights field, advocacy field. They have collected over four hundred academics' names that have been disappeared or already. Uh, it's it's clear that they were sentenced or put in re-education camps over 400 intellectuals academics a lot of them was a president of uh, a medical school a president of the uh, Xinjiang University a publisher uh, like Yelkin you know all these people what have they done? they have been um, very obedient well I can't say the obedient this is a very harsh word but they have been um, obeying the law for their entire lives but All of a sudden, just because of their Uyghurs, everything they have been doing would consider as illegal.
2: Jauhar, how do we know what's happening in the concentration camps?
1: So there are, first of all, there are many leaked documents by the Chinese government. um, And uh, they would, in those documents, it had described, uh, well, it wouldn't describe how they were treated in the concentration camps, but it would. Those documents tell. Um, uh, tell uh, it's it's a document that would teach people to answer questions when when they ask, oh, where are your family members? Those documents, basically, it's like a template or mm-hmm. toolkit for, for for individuals to to answer, I am living a happy life, I am living in a perfectly normal life, uh, just like what happened in the Nazi German camps, mm-hmm. you know, where they in would-
2: Therese, start, In Theresienstadt, yes. yeah, there was the famous model camp.
1: Yes, where, where they were also, they had a film, you know, how people were playing mm-hmm. games and dancing mm-hmm. together. They had the exact same thing nowadays. Mm-hmm. Um, You know, the Chinese government is very good at learning uh, I have to give them that they learned uh, many things they build wonderful buildings in a very fast ways and then they would create social uh social media pl- uh, 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 applications in a very fast way in a very creative way and they learned from uh, many things but also they learned the um, the Nazi German uh, the the Holocaust camps perfectly too they're uh, they're doing um, they're doing exact same thing or even better let's quote unquote better they're even doing it in the next level where um, nowadays, 2021, um, they have done so much better that they have locked the entire state up where nobody can get in, nobody can get out.
2: But, but they're not – these are concentration camps, not extermination camps, right? What is it? Well, the Nazis, there were concentration camps that were labor camps or camps for political prisoners, and then there were death camps, where people were slaughtered. I don't know about that. All right. Well, so that we have to make it. Imp- yeah. It's an important distinction to make historically.
1: There are different camps uh, in the Uyghur region. So when when I say concentration camp, ca- um, so so there are different things. There's the reeducation camp. Where people are actually being re-educated, mm-hmm. and there are also so-called re-education camps where it's called a re-education camp, but people are not being re- not only being re-educated, they're also tortured there. Mm-hmm. And there's also vocational training schools mm-hmm. where people learn um, skills. There are also s- those kinds of so-called vocational training schools where mm-hmm. the Chinese government claim that those people are learning skills, and but a lot—it's it, in fact they're just labor camps where people are forced mm-hmm. to uh, work in, in a condition that strongly indicates forced labor. And there's also concentration camps where people um, purely get tortured. I actually know mm-hmm. um, individuals who were able to skip from those camps oh, where they're... Ask you about yes, that. Yeah. Um, there are camp survivors. They actually live in D.C. now. Mm-hmm. Yes, there are several of them. I also interviewed them um, for my okay. book and for my documentary mm-hmm. film as well. And um, they... Uh,
2: so, so we have... First-hand eyewitness accounts.
1: Yes, we do. We actually have a dozen of it. Mm -hmm. Um, They're located in different uh, corners of the world. Mm -hmm. Uh, Most of them were able to get out was because they were married to their spouse. Spouse was... Uh, Kazakhstan citizen had a Kazakhstan citizenship Mm -hmm. or Turkish citizenship or other countries Mm -hmm. so they were able to get out through that way Mm -hmm. but many others who were not quote-unquote lucky enough to marry someone foreigner and who can get them out Mm -hmm. through their embassies they're stuck there forever maybe Mm -hmm. and um, many of them we might never find out who they were and they might just disappeared into the into the air as dust and and we never know they were even there
2: The reason I ask you these questions is because it's important to establish that as a factual matter, there is no controversy about the existence of these camps and that governments acknowledge their existence. And we have various sources of of evidence.
1: Yes. There are not only reports that have been out. There are also leaked Chinese government uh, Chinese government documents, uh, government officials signed documents. Um, it's full scanned, uh, colored scanned with signatures of those uh, government officials. It's available, publicly available. Mm-hmm. And also there are satellite imageries and also, mm-hmm. just a few weeks ago, there was also a video uh, released by this Chinese influencer, Guan Guan, and he went into the Uyghur region and he took a road trip to a uh, different uh, dozens of uh, locations uh, reeducation camps, concentration camps uh, locations to confirm the existence of these camps and he even climbed up to a mountain just to uh, take a video off uh, to, to as close from as above. possible from above as close off as from possible and he was you, could, uh, you can see from those videos he was terrified he, uh, even though as a Han Chinese you could uh, you could injure lots of privileges in the Uyghur region but that doesn't mean you are free from persecution from the Chinese government he was terrified and he was breathing so heavily and he and he made a comment throughout the video he said that the Western journalists can't get him but I can't because I'm Han Chinese
2: well I mean I think that's uh, what I was going to ask you about it is the case isn't it that um Westerners cannot get in, there are no investigators from the West or elsewhere who can get in that the place is basically shut down for these purposes.
1: So, some journalists can, only, but they're able to, uh, well, they will have to apply from the Chinese government and yeah. they can only go on like stage tours. Okay. Uh, it's planned tours where they are tailed and they're escorted uh, the entire time. It's not free free, uh, uh, free uh, movement there as well. That's why um, many activists have been um, uh, requesting free access to the Uyghur region because that's, how, that's the only way we're going to help the Chinese government since they've been claiming we don't have those human rights abuses, China, everybody's ha- having a wonderful, happy life. Well, then let us prove it to us by letting us get in freely and get out freely without being um, um, persecuted or be- being detained. Many journalists, they even, they were detained uh, when they were trying to uh, take a video or picture, when they were trying to record. Um,
2: would, would you consider the uh, oppression of the Uyghurs, one of the elements of Xi Jinping's larger program of repression, political repression across China, uh, because he's now presiding over a, a classical Leninist crackdown on the society, or are there special elements to the Uyghur persecution that have to do with Ethnic or religious or or cultural differences?
1: Well, the religion definitely plays a part, but it's also... I personally, it's just my personal perspective. I think it is a tool that the Chinese government use mm-hmm. to get away with what they're doing because of the Islamophobia that has been very mm-hmm. widespread across the globe. When they claim that it's targeting Islam, that it's targeting Islamist uh, extremists, then they can get away with lots of things. And I think that that is why they use religion as an excuse or a tool to get away with mm-hmm. you know, what they have been doing to the Uyghur people. And um, what I think... Is really happening is that it's the Chinese government wants to have the social control of the entire community because of the differences we have, we we hold, Uh, we speak different language. It's a completely different language system as Chinese. Um, Sound nothing like, looks nothing like Chinese. We use Arabic uh, writing script and also it. Uh, it's a Turkic language so uh, if you speak Uyghur, you basically t- take 3 to 6 months you speak turkish mm-hmm. you, you just you just learn for like 3 to 6 months you will be able to master well not master but you will be able to understand turkish completely and then um and also not only the language the culture um the it, in every aspect, even the looks, we look different, um, and that threatens the Chinese government in every kinds of way. Because when you are different, that means you are harder to be controlled. And the, what the Chinese government is trying to do is that they want to create robots uh mod- models that everybody think the same think the same act the same worships the same person or same party mm-hmm. that's what they're trying to do mm-hmm. and Uyghurs if you see if you look at the like those most persecuted and um those groups in China you'll see they're like Tibetans mm-hmm. uh southern Mongolians mm-hmm. Uyghurs And why? Because they're the most different ones. We have preserved our culture, well, much better compared to a lot of other ethnic minority groups. There are 55, uh, besides Han Chinese, there are 55 uh, ethnic minority Mm -hmm. groups living in China. And the most well-known or most uh, distinct ones are are the Uyghurs, Tibetans, and Southern Mongolians. We have kept our language in a very well, and we are actively pra- We have been actively practicing our religion, like Tibetan Buddhism, um, and we would practice Islam. And that's all considered very threatening because we refuse to be assimilated, and we don't want to. Assimilation is is a very natural. Thing to happen. To be honest, it's going to happen for sure in any culture, in any society, in any country. It's a matter of process, but it should not be forced. Mm-hmm. And once the group doesn't want to be assimilated, you should just let them be who they are, right? And you should not be forcing on, on eliminating right. yes. us. Mm-hmm. Okay. Now, now that we have a, laid out a
0: pretty good picture of the way things are, if you're actually in China, what is your story um, starting with going to the Beijing airport in
1: 2013? So, yeah, as I mentioned, um, growing up, we had police. Police were... They were... I I, I was never of them because i see them all the time uh and then i got used to even having them around because um they would constantly visit us having tea with us eat with us monitor us follow us travel with us sleep with us and all kinds of things so i got used to i almost forgot
2: this is is because of your father's work because
1: of my father's work
2: and your father is he's a distinguished economist by training right
1: yes Yes, he's a well-known economist, and also he was also well-known for his um, his advocacy for the Uyghur rights. Mm-hmm. And then, so uh, growing up, I was very used to having police around. I almost forgot how threatening they could be mm-hmm. until February 2nd, 2013, when they um, refused, uh, for, uh, they blocked my father's. Uh, way uh, when he was invited by Indiana University as a visiting scholar. Um, for people wonder why Indiana, because Indiana University has one of the best uh, Central Eurasian Studies program in America. So uh, my father was invited as a visiting scholar. It was a one-year fellowship program. And um, he asked me, I, I just graduated high school not long, and then he asked me, do you want to accompany me and help me settle down since you can't see me for more than a year and so I felt I said okay we apply for visa we had everything legal had every every procedure went really well I mean every process went really well and then but we got to the airport I still remember that we sneaked out of the air, uh, the, the apartment at 3 a.m. even though our flights were was not supposed to leave until 11 because we thought if we leave in the middle of the night maybe the police will not follow us that's what we thought yes they didn't follow us but they were waiting for us. <laughs> so, um we checked our bags, we got our boarding passes, and we f- I still remember I took one photo of my father. It's one of the very few photos of him where he was actually smiling. He doesn't really like smiling as much and he's a very he's a funny man, but he's at the same time very serious. And then um I remember that picture because I, I know, I, 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 I knew it at that time that he actually believed we, w- we would be able to get out together. I, I know it for sure. And then, but when we were passing the border where we supposed to get our passport stamped, he was stopped. I wasn't. I was 18 and my, my most of my passport pages were blank. So they allowed me to leave and I was a uh, Beijing uh, residence uh, because I was born there. So it's considered much safer. And I was a girl. So um, my father was stopped. I was very confused because I, as I mentioned, I forgot how threatening those policemen could be. And um, a few minutes after, uh, uh, there were, I can't remember, it was a four or six um, black uniform um, security showed up. I started taking my father away. And I asked, where are you taking my father? And they said, you're his daughter, then you follow us. We were locked in a... We were um, guarded in a small room uh, for hours. And as I mentioned, we arrived very early. And we we were guarded until half an hour before my departure. The lady came in and said, your flight is about to depart. Are you going? I was very confused because the whole purpose of me going to the US was to accompany my father. I didn't even speak English at that time and I didn't know anybody. Why would I go? And... She said, it's up to you. And I, my father said, do you want to go? I said, no. Why would I go if I, you are not coming? My whole purpose was for going was to, be, to, to be, be with you. And he said, I think you should go. I really think you should go. And I don't know why at that because moment. He,
2: he saw what was coming.
1: Yes. Um. At that moment, I don't normally cry as much. But at that moment, I just suddenly full I, I had full of tears, and he started he grabbed my arm and started pushing me out of the room. He said, "When you had the chance, you should leave." And I said, "No, no, I'm not leaving." And I was trying to so hard to stay still so he wouldn't be able to push me out of the room. so I actually had so I would actually have to leave. And my father said, Look around you. There were like several guards in the room, a very tiny room. It was was even harder to breathe because there were so many people. And he said, look around you. Look at how this country is treating you. Do you still want to stay here? And I just, I couldn't say anything because I was young. I don't know what does it mean to be treated badly, poorly by a government or by a country. All I know was I want to be with my family. I want to be with, I want to be at where my father is at. And I want to know what is going to happen to him. And he said, I'd rather you sweep the street in the US than you staying here. Go there. And then I still said no. And I kept crying. He said, okay, you go there. If you don't like it, then you come back. He was trying to trick me into leaving. And he said, maybe just for a month. See, now you have the visa. Don't waste it. We'll be fine. And he pushed me and pushed me. And I was kept, I kept looking back. And that was my last time seeing my father in person. And that was my last goodbye. Um, so I had to bring his suitcase, because it was already checked, to the US. And I remember looking at four suitcases at the airport, not knowing what to do with them. And having my Nokia phone that doesn't even work in the US. And um, I had no money. I did not know what to do after I arrived. Where should I even go? I had no idea. But my father planned everything for me. Um, Just like a movie... When I was also... I was stopped at the Chicago airport. There's no direct flight from Beijing to Indiana. So I had to stop at Chicago first. I was arrested there for... Um, because my my whole... It's only legal for me to enter the US once my father was in because of our visa status because I was the dependent uh, visa uh, person. And they thought I was trying to smuggle into the country, which kind of I was doing, I guess. Mm-hmm. And then... Um, and they were saying stuff. I had no idea what they were talking about because I had no English. I only know I I was trying to explain my father. Police caught caught, and I was trying to um uh, show with my wrist like how handcuffing looks mm-hmm. like because I did not know the word handcuffing. And then I just said caught caught like catch caught. I remember the past tense. And then and then and I I was hoping they would understand. And they understood. And they were they they probably thought I was trying to smuggle into the country, and my father's a criminal or something like that. And I was. Stop uh, so throughout from 3 a.m. that day until the 11 a.m. departure time, and another 14 hours flight, and then another I can't remember was it six hours or in in the Chicago airport. No food, no water, terrified. 18 years old that was my situation, whole situation at that time because they did not have halal option on, on the airplane. So I, oh, right. yeah i i just uh i was starving exhausted did not sleep because i was terrified the entire time didn't know what was going to happen to my father and they also at, on the airplane they gives you this form thing to ask yeah. you to fill out i had no idea what it was talking about it what it was read re- it. it was english and <laughs> and i knew there were lots of numbers on it i and then i asked someone next to me she was a i think she was a master's student or an older student and um She's she was a Chinese and she mm-hmm. spoke English and I asked her for help and she helped me fill it out so I have no idea what happened. <laughs> she was very nice by the way and she was kept comforting me. She was like, "Are you okay?" Because I cried the entire fourteen hours.
2: Mm-hmm. And
1: then um she just she just thought I missed home, I guess. And mm-hmm. um so after the police uh, after the Chicago um custom um uh, the, the security national uh, what is it called um passport control or uh, american customs. customs? american custom people they were trying to explain something to me i had no idea what they're saying but i one thing i understood when they said you have to go back to china and then that was an easy term because i know china go back i know those words and mm-hmm. i start freaking out because i did not know what was going to happen? And also, do I have to pay for that ticket? That was also another thing that I was wondering because I had no money. Mm-hmm. And then and then they said something I still didn't understand. Then they put it out with a universal gesture uh, to their ears, which is like a phone call mm-hmm. sign. And they asked, do you have any uh, one that you can call? And I, I said, my Nokia, no work here, no work here. And then, but then when I was pulling out my Nokia phone, I saw a wrinkled paper, just like a movie. I saw it's, it's It's so, until now, I still think it's pretty dramatic. It was a name card, and it was a name card of the professor who invited my father, Elliot Sperling. And he was the, he was at the point, he was a dean of the, the department at that time. He was the person who sent the invitation letter. And then, magically, he had um, worked uh, with the U.S. government before. So he made some calls, he pulled some strings and I was able to get into the US. Mm-hmm. So I arrived at the airport and he was there. And magically he even spoke Chinese. He studied in Taiwan for like 9 years so he spoke very good Chinese. I thank God at least I could understand someone mm-hmm. in like the only person that I could understand in the 40 hours. And um I stayed at his house for a month um He helped me register to English program. I started, studied English for two years, and then I got into college. I went to Indiana university and then I graduated in 2019. Mm -hmm. Um,
2: and during this, during this time, what were you hearing about your father and the situation back in China?
1: Yes. So, well, after I arrived in the U S, um, we had no news of my father for like two to three, three days finally one day we were able to get on skype he was released from the airport and he said he's safe but then he started his house arrest time until so we were speaking and he could not teach obviously he um,
2: so he was placed under house arrest yes where you were at our
1: apartment so he was staying home the in entire what time, city? In what in Beijing, city? In Beijing, in Beijing, okay. yes. Well, my father <coughs> teaches in Beijing. Our apartment is in right, Beijing. Right, right, right. My brothers uh, live in Beijing with him and my my stepmom mm-hmm. as well. And my grandma was also there too. Mm-hmm. Uh, my my grandma also came as well. Um. So for. For for oh, actually, my grandma was not there when I was leaving. My grandma came later. Sorry, I I think I had some mis uh, mm-hmm. uh memory um. And then um, I remember that we were talking every single day at least three times a day morning my new my lunch break and before i go to sleep and my father was always awake Mm -hmm. he was always trying to be awake so i wouldn't have to stay awake at night Mm -hmm. and he would just i remember skyping with him um during my lunch break because it would sometimes it would be one o'clock and because my brothers they were so young they were four and three to six another one is six years old one of them was three years old and obviously, he couldn't wake them up. So he would sit in the dark in the living room with in front of his computer just to talk with him and whisper to me. Mm-hmm. I still remember that every single day. Every single day, he would do that. At some point, I even got sick of it. I was like, oh my God, I just want to have lunch with my friend at peace. Like, I don't want to talk to you. And now I regret so much. Um, until when? Until the day before he was arrested. Which was? January. January. Fourteenth two thousand fourteen. That was the last time I spoke with him, and then I still remember January fourteenth. That night I lost sleep and I could not sleep well. Um, for no reason. I just did not sleep a whole night, and then the next day I went to class. I was exhausted, so I went back home after my classes, and I just locked my door and I shut down my phone and I texted my dad on uh, Skype and it's just I'm going to take a nap, and then. And then I just, I just, I was trying to sleep because I was exhausted. Then I heard a huge knock on my door. dong dung, 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 dung. And I was just, um, I was like who is this? Who's trying to disturb me at this, uh, like at this, uh, this time? And then it was Elliot, the professor who, um, uh, you know, in my, my father, he said, why are you not picking up your phone? He was freaking out. And I said, well, because I'm tired, I want to sleep. He said, your father is arrested. Mm-hmm. And I said, what do you mean? And he said, he said, he's gone. There were police broke into his apartment in Beijing. I said, what about my brothers? He said, in front of your brothers. And I just didn't know how to react. I, w- I went pale, according to Elliot later. He said, I went pale. And he, I don't remember what happened after. Um, I think my brain just went blank. He took me back to his house. And we were trying to reach out to my stepmom and to my father, but we couldn't get hold of anyone. We couldn't get uh, get in touch with anyone because the Chinese government uh, went into our apartment and confiscated everything, all the electronics and papers. But uh, in two days or so, they were able to contact, with, contact me because um, it's kind of a... <laughs> Uh, funny story because my father was very strict with my brothers. Um, my my brother had an iPad and he would he wasn't allowed to play the iPad too to, for too long. So so he wanted to play the games on iPad so bad. So he would he sneaked an iPad underneath his mattress. It was a bunk bed uh, and it was his bed was upstairs uh, in the, on on the top. The, atop. And then he hit, he hid the iPad underneath that and it was not confiscated. Mm-hmm. And that's how they were able to reach out to me with that, I bet. It's still it's just everything is still it just feels like last day. some parts I don't remember, but the parts that I remember it still feels very fresh, those memories. And the feel is until now when I talk about it, I still have chills. I've talked about it maybe at least three hundred times. I often get mm-hmm. chills, not every single time, but a lot of times I still get chills, and my 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 hair on um, my arms would stick up. And then, um. Yeah, he was arrested, and then we did not know anything about him for three months. I waited. I did not speak up at all.
2: Was your father's arrest announced by the regime? Did
1: they? That's what I'm about to. Okay. Yes. Okay. Yes. How did How did Elliot know to inform you? How Where did he hear it? So it. So it was the neighbors. Well, it was the neighbors that that called my stepmom, and she immediately talked told the journalists mm-hmm. that this was happening that's how mm-hmm. initially it was break uh, break to the the news broke but then we were not able to contact mm-hmm. her so um we did not know what was happening with him for a few months he just disappeared like that there was no uh uh there was no um um official document on why he was arrested and where he was taken and we had no idea he disappeared like that for a month. So I gave it I give it a month. I was waiting because my, it wasn't the first time where my father was taken away and disappeared. So we thought maybe this will be just like the every other time. And we've waited for a month, two months, and then three months. I knew I couldn't wait anymore because according to the international law, you cannot arrest anyone without any reason for more than three months, even though if they're political prisoners. So that three months, was the time that I gave to the Chinese government I was patience I was very pa- I was very patient and then um April three months after my father was arrested I knew that I had to speak up and also that's what my father wanted me to do too I remember that before he was arrested during our one of the Skype conversations he told me to create twitter and like facebook and i said i don't like social media and i don't like people knowing about my life he said i think you should do it because if that is something is going to happen to daddy one day it's coming soon i know it he said that and i said don't say that you're just overthinking it don't say that and he's like it's okay it's okay but when that happens use those platforms. Daddy has lots of friends around the world. Many of them I don't know. I don't even know there. I've never met them, but they will help you. That's what my father said. And indeed, I reached out on social media. People started helping you. They started calling on the release of my father. And finally it actually well, I wouldn't say it worked, but my father's still in prison, right? But mm-hmm. the Chinese government did release a notice notification to our family members and saying yes he was released and now he's locked up in Nurumchi, which is like hundreds of thousands of miles away uh it's the the by the way for people who are not very familiar if you look at the map the Uru regions at far west part of very west part of China and Beijing it's um it's in the east, so it's it's on the other side of, of 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 the country. It's basically if you're based in US, the distance between DC to yeah. California. Yeah,
2: it's a continent.
1: Yes, it's very far, and um and it's just very confusing. Why would you transfer someone from Beijing to the to to Urumchi to the Uyghur region? Urumchi is the capital of the Uyghur region, and uh, especially. His house is in his uh, uh, resident uh, place. he's uh, uh, he's a resident in Beijing. His his birth uh, his um resident paper belongs to Beijing. His work is in Beijing. His apartment is in Beijing. His entire family is in Beijing. Why would you arrest him and transfer him to the Uyghur region? And then he, in those papers, they, they claim that he was uh, he was accused of um, inciting um, um, separatism and, um, and trying to um, overthrow the Chinese government regime and, you know, like advocating for violence, you know, all kinds of nonsense stuff. Still nonsense. And it's been eight years. It still doesn't make sense in my head. And then um, he disappeared until until um, late April. And that was when I decided to testify in front of the Congress before the Congressional hearing. And um, a lot of things happened since then. My father was sentenced in September. He had a show.
2: So so there was a trial?
1: Yes, there was a trial, a two days show trial. In Urumqi? Yes, in Urumqi. Uh, I remember there were eight representatives from different countries and embassies had flew into Urumqi to attend the trial. But they were refused to they were not allowed to get in. Mm. It's not that they were not allowed allowed technically legally they were they should be able to get in. but the guards said, "Oh, sorry, the courtroom is full. There's no extra room uh, for you mm. to go in." but in fact, most of the people who were there were Han Chinese that were totally not related to the case and mm. and some of them were even taking a nap yeah, probably so it yeah. Solving, yeah. yes it was it was a fake trial, yeah. and um and my father's lawyers they voluntarily to represent my father and a lot of them got into trouble for representing my father a lot of uh, several of them was arrested multiple times a lot of them they got their permit uh, their license taken away their attorney license taken away um
2: do we know if your father was able to speak at the trial
1: i don't know i don't i don't know we i have no idea with the whole um uh, like I have not seen the whole uh, video of the court, but there was a short clip of it. Oh. There was a short clip that was rele released, and I re- remember my law- uh, my father's lawyer, said my fa- my my father at the court after he heard he was sentenced to life, he said 我不服. That kind, of, oh, it's hard to translate, but it does it kind of means like I don't accept this, I don't deserve this. That's what he said, and he was right he he should not accept it and he doesn't deserve it. He, a man like him does not deserve to be in a prison for even a day or in an hour for an hour.
2: So w- we know that he said that he rejected the sentence.
1: Yes, he ref- he said he rejects to he doesn't uh, identify it. yes, he he does not think it's appropriate and he did he did write he wrote his Entire appeal by himself, mm-hmm. a very thick uh, a, a thickness of a book. I think a textbook even. He wrote it himself. Do you have it? I don't have it. Mm-hmm. Could you could it's you get it? Court. No, it's at the court, and they wouldn't mm-hmm. release it to us. Yes, and then um, he wrote it himself, um, and then he had a lot to say. Mm-hmm. Of, of course, he has a lot to say, and the Chinese government rejected it without a second thought and um he had not been able to get a second appeal and it has been it has been a um since 2014 it has been um, eight eight years nowadays um almost eight years um he was it's just it's very frustrating because he's such a well-respected man, not only by the Uyghurs, yeah. but the Han Chinese as well. The Han Chinese uh, scholars in China and outside of China adore him because of his uh, moderate uh, voice and because he's nothing like what the Chinese government uh, uh, described, uh, how they describe him. Um, he's a peaceful man. He's a kind man. He's a decent man. He's a brave man. And he speaks the truth, the only truth. And he 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 advocates for righteous. he He thinks he's expressed what he thinks it's right. and he actually wanted to help. And it's so, to be honest, it's not very smart of Chinese government for jail for putting a, a man like my father in jail because if, as they claim, they really wanted prosperity of the whole province. The thing that they should do was you're supposed to be working with my father because all these suggestions that my father proposed, you know, building infrastructures you know, building hospitals, you know, creating a better education system. Isn't that supposed to help the Chinese government to achieve what they wanted?
2: Not, not if you want complete control.
1: Exactly. So that is why what the Chinese government is claiming it's not what they really want. It's just what they are claiming. Mm -hmm. What they really want is not prosperity of the Uyghur region, of the Uyghurs. They only want the prosperity of... Their own regime.
2: Now, my understand your father's been nominated for the Nobel Peace Prize.
1: Yes, right? he was nominated five times, and and he was also not. I think was it 2018 or 2017? He was even nominated by thirteen U.S. lawmakers mm-hmm. together with and, like a joint.
2: And leader. you accepted the Sakharov Prize.
1: Yes, so. he was the um, laureate of 2019 Sakharov Award and also Bakla-Huvel, uh mm-hmm. Batslaevel Award, and um, they're also. I think nine or ten other international uh, awards that he accepted. The, uh, that those are uh,
2: very great honors, named named for very great men.
1: Yes. Well, the Chinese government don't take any of those, no. um, and they they even went and uh, they went so far to even even um, wrote a whole article, um, uh, basically attacking my father and said how how horrible or how how big of a mistake it is for the European Parliament to award my father the Sakharov Award. And then in the article, they also said, well, the Sakharov was never a good person. So, well, if that kind of contradicts their point, because if my father was horrible, then doesn't he actually deserve the Sakharov Award, right?
2: Can I ask one final question? Uh, In your view, what should the United States government do about this?
1: There's so many things that the united states government can do the the consumers uh the international like People from all around the world, not only the U.S., can do. So what is happening in the Uyghur region, as I mentioned, they're not only concentration camps, re-education camps, they're also forced labor camps. And actually, in fact, there's a major shift in the Uyghur region where lots of re-education camps, the so so-called students from those re-education centers, schools, are graduating, according to the Chinese government. Yes, they have been graduating, but they have been sent sh- uh, sent to... Uh, Factories to work, as the Chinese government claims that they are given job opportunities. They're they're being employed. It's a good thing for them. Well, a lot of them are medical doctors. I don't know if they should be working in a factory. Um, well, if they want to, they can. But I highly doubt over 1.99 29 million people per year would want to go work in a factory. Mm-hmm. Uh, and when, when I say 1.29, it's a uh, it this this data is released by Chinese government's own. White paper by their own state council and um, and and the Chinese government. Oh, they claim that there are 1.29 million pe- people per year in the Uyghur region are going through vocational trainings, mm-hmm. and that according to the Chinese government, we have like ele- around 11 million population. Let's say those statistics are correct. That's more than 10 percent of the population are going through vocational trainings. Does are it even make people,
2: sense? These people, Men and women in forced labor are producing goods
1: that China sells here. Sells across the globe. So eighty four percent of the cotton production of China is from the U region. So, that is twenty two percent of the global cotton production. Forty four 5% of the global polysilicon are produced from the Weaver region. Polysilicon is the major b- materials to pr- produce pa- solar panel, to do pr- solar panel. And that's exactly tell you how heavily connected we are to forced labor. Every one of us, when you are buying clothes, when you look at cotton from China, do you still want to wear it? Because 84% is from the Weaver region. Do you really know you are wearing that the rest of the 16% is really hard right you can't really tell so the only way for people to avoid being complicit in forced labor is to just not buy any cotton production or you know um, I'm not boycotting China but I really would suggest if you want to completely free of forced labor just try not to bring by anything from made in China unless you are sure that it's not made by forced labor or unless you are okay with wearing something produced by forced labor, right? Um, I personally don't think I would be okay with um, my clothing or my bags or my shoes made by my my cousin, my brothers or sisters, my friends, or anyone uh, under conditions that are that, that are strongly uh, su- suggesting forced labor, right? And I, I really I believe in humanity. I believe in most people wouldn't like wouldn't want that. Um, so, when I mentioned what the u s. can do, so there's now there's a bill. It has passed the Senate uh, anonymously. and then um, Unanimous. It, Unanimous. unanimously, sorry, there's a bill that passed the uh, uh, Senate unanimously. Mm-hmm. and over the summer, but it's stuck in the House. and um there are over one hundred sponsors at the moment. And in order to uh, in in order this bill is called, We were forced labor prevention act. And this bill basically it shifts the burden from the CBP to uh, exporters and um, suppliers. So it's instead of making the CBP to having to verify every single shipment, whether they are um, made by forced labor, it makes this bill makes the suppliers or uh, exporters to prove if they want to get anything into the U.S., they will have to make sure their items from the region are free of forced labor. So this bill is extremely crucial on this forced labor case. Mm and um and 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 that is why it's so so important to have uh people support on this and if it doesn't whoever is listening to this call your local representatives call call your congressman call call, call write letters to them and or knock on their doors make them Sign, make them vote for the bill, make them pass the bill, and, and and tell, ask them, do you want to do you want to be tainted, uh, be complicit in forced labor? Ask them. Ask them this. Is
2: question. there opposition to the bill in the house? Is there are there are there congressmen who are opposed to this bill?
1: It's being stalled, being stalled, um, okay. because there are also this uh, concerns for um, like with the there's some pushbacks from the environmentalist groups yeah. because of the solar industry and. And, well, I said 45% of the policy funds from the Uyghur region, but that means rest of the 55 is from elsewhere, then why don't we just expand that 55 to 85 to 95 to 100% instead of relying heavily on the Uyghur region? I
2: I think what you just said is a very important point, because in recent months, the conventional wisdom has become that there is a trade-off between environmental policy and china policy and that however uh, villainously china acts owing to their owing to our need to collaborate with them on climate change we have no leverage and there's just nothing we can do so we have to suck their evil up and what you're saying actually is that that there are ways to to act Ethically, as a society and as a government, without necessarily compromising the environmental element.
1: Exactly, and also one thing that I wanted to ask the listeners, the audiences, um, why do we want? Why do we care about cl- climate change? Because we care about human lives and care about the future, right? Mm-hmm. And we want to just save the human human lives by protecting our planet, right? So how I just I want to ask this question because it really doesn't make sense to me how is that environmental friendly by killing or uh, by 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 basically exploiting over lives and their bloods and sweat how is that considered ethical how is that considered as protecting the planet if we're if we're trying to to live in a better environment by killing all these people how is that ethical how is that sustainable
0: Thank you so much for joining us, Jauhar.
1: Thank you. Thank you for having
2: me. Thank you, Jauhar. This was a very important conversation. Thank you.
0: Just a reminder that you can subscribe to Liberties at libertiesjournal.com. All subscribers have complete digital access through our website to all liberties issues past and present. Thank you.